0: Hey there, Brandon Harvey here. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to thoughtfully and holistically care for the environment. And I know you're probably a lot like me. You're trying to do your best to do good for the earth. But it's hard to know how to best make a difference. Does unplugging your cords help? What's the single best thing you can do for the environment if you don't have a lot of money? What if I can't be as perfect of an environmentalist as I think I should be? Is there any reason to feel hopeful about the environment. These are all super valid questions and we wanted to find and share the answers. And so the team at Good 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 created the 2021 Sustainability Edition of the Good Newspaper. It is the brand new issue of our print newspaper filled with good news and good action. And if you like this podcast, you will love this issue. Inside this issue, you'll read about Good news and the progress we're making against climate change, and ways that you can meaningfully make a difference, many of which may surprise you because they surprised me. You can get your copy of the 2021 sustainability edition of the Good Newspaper before it sells out by visiting our online shop, or you can become a member and save money and never miss a single issue. You can do both at our website, good, good, good. .co or you can just click the link in our show notes. All right, here's the show. The impacts of climate change and other environmental hazards don't impact all people equally. Toxic waste, landfills, highways, and polluted air are all more likely to affect minority and low-income communities. But a new environmental movement is addressing the ways these hazards unequally impact communities of color. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Herbie. The environmentalism movement hasn't traditionally addressed social inequities, but activists are changing that. Today, I'm talking with activist Leah Thomas. Last year, Leah published an environmentalist for Black Lives Matter post on Instagram. You probably saw it, honestly. Calling upon environmentalists to embrace social justice. Social justice cannot wait, she wrote. It's not an optional add-on to environmentalism. I'm calling on the environmentalist community to stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and with Black, Indigenous, and POC communities impacted daily by both social and environmental injustice. The post went viral, and Leah turned her message into a movement called Intersectional Environmentalism, which draws on lawyer and feminist scholar Kimberly Crenshaw's framework for intersectionality. If you haven't heard of intersectionality, it's basically the way that our different identities, like gender, race, and class, interact and create forms of privilege and discrimination for different people. So for example, I am a white, able-bodied cisgender straight man, and those identities combine and together grant me a lot of unearned privilege in our society. If a few of those attributes were different, The way that those identities intersect might change my experience in unique ways. Essentially, you can't look at just one identity in a vacuum. All the pieces of our identity work together dynamically. The framework is useful when looking at environmentalism because we know that environmental issues don't affect all people the same way. That's where intersectionality comes in. And this viewpoint is essential in creating a truly just world that's clean and safe for all people. And so I am so excited for you to get to hear from Leah about her story of how she started intersectional environmentalism, why it's absolutely necessary, and how you and I can integrate these concepts into our everyday lives to make a difference for both the planet and the people who live on it. How do you describe yourself and the work that you do?
1: Hmm. I landed on the word eco communicator. You know, I just love making up words all the time and phrases because I really love writing and I also love environmentalism. And then I also really like design at the same time. And I wanted to find some sort of career for myself where I got to combine the love of those things um, all in one. So when I was taking my environmental science and policy classes, I was like, oh my God, I love this stuff. I geek out about it, save the planet. Um, But then I realized so many of the words and phrases were just completely inaccessible to the everyday person. And I think if we really want to address the climate crisis, then the language that we use as environmentalists should be accessible to the everyday person. So that to me just really feels like a puzzle. And it really excites me trying to find different ways to talk about environmental justice or intersectionality or environmentalism and package it in Kind of an engaging new way so more people can have access to this information. So that's why I landed on the phrase eco communicator. I'm just a communications person um, that loves to talk about the environment and sustainability.
0: I love that. And you're so good at it. And I I think that's why I've learned so much from you because you are coming at it not from the place of expertise, though you have expertise. You're coming at it from almost a place of empathy, you know, knowing where people are. Are at, and then how to help move them to where I think we all want to be and definitely need to be. But it's, you know, it it just takes better communication, better almost marketing and branding. But when we do that, we have the ability to affect way bigger change.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes environmentalists, and I love my people, um, but can be a bit judgmental at times. And I understand like, oh my God, if you're doing cool things for the planet, like, yes, pat yourself on the back. Like, that's amazing. But what happens sometimes is some environmentalists can be like, well, what? You didn't know like the top greenhouse gases that are, you know, impacting the climate? Like you're not a true environmentalist or you don't meet some certain benchmark of knowledge. And that just feels really inaccessible. And I always try to remember and think of myself before my sort of woke explosion in college, before I started learning about environmental justice. And I try to think about talking to my younger self and doing it in a way that didn't feel judgmental and feels empathetic and isn't like shaming people for what they don't know, because how could they know? Especially if some of this data isn't really taught in um, you know modern curriculums about environmental justice, and it should be. Um, so yeah, just making sure to meet people where they're at and approach them with compassion. Um, because none of us are perfect. And it's it's a journey.
0: I think one of the ways that you are kind of welcoming people into that journey is through your kind of advocacy around intersectional environmentalism. I know that that was true for me. Uh, this is a term that you popularized or, or coined I am somebody who I, I live in Portland, Oregon. Like, I compost, I ride my bike, like, it is an environmentalist mecca. And I feel like I'm paying a lot of attention and trying my very best. But when I first started learning about intersectional environmentalism from you on Instagram, it was really, I guess, just like expanding the way that I was seeing what I could do for Mother Nature. And so, tell me about intersectional environmentalism like let's define intersectionality let's define environmentalism and how those things come together
1: so when I was in college, um, there's a lot happening at once. There was kind of like the Women's March, and then also the Black Lives Matter movement was starting, and then also the kids' climate strikes were happening. So there were all these different issues. And then I started seeing a lot of interconnections between them. Um, and that's when one of my like you know social justice friends was like, have you heard of Kimberly Crenshaw? Um, and I was like, oh, my God, who's that? And so she created Intersectional Theory, which basically explores how we have each and every one of us, we're dynamic human beings and we have overlapping parts of our identities from gender to sexuality, to race, religion, socioeconomic status, whatever it is that influences the way that we're able to, you know, experience the world around us. And her work, Uh, originated kind of talking about the experience of being a black woman in feminist spaces where you carry those kind of dual identities at the same time and you shouldn't have to separate the two especially if you're looking at, say, in the context of feminism. Um, So women in general, there's like a wage gap for women to every man's dollar. But then if you start looking at it by race, Black women make even less. Indigenous women make even less. Latinx women make even less. So it is important to talk about these intersections and kind of dual identities that people might have, um, because that way you don't promote erasure. Because if you kind of ignore those other statistics and say like, well, we're all women. We got to stand together. You might just be advocating for the advancement of like white, straight women alone if you're not looking at those kind of nuances. So, learning about intersectional theory made me realize that it's something that can also be applied to environmentalism. And I know there are a lot of people who have been taking an intersectional approach to environmentalism for a long time, especially in the climate justice and environmental justice movement. But to me, intersectional environmentalism, it realizes the ways that injustices that are happening to both people and the planet, especially marginalized groups of people, are interconnected. And not only that, it seeks to amplify the voices of the people who have often been unheard in these spaces, not given a platform, people of color, people in the LGBTQ plus community, because I think the future is a lot more beautiful when it's intersectional and our environmentalism should be intersectional, especially because people of color and low income communities experience the brunt of climate injustice. So to me, it feels a little silly not to consider it, especially um, when the data is what it is.
0: Can you tell me about like the moment where that clicked for you where where you saw what was happening in the environmentalist movement and in uh the Black Lives Matter movement and and how those things combined before your eyes? Yeah.
1: So when I was in college, so I guess that was 2014 2015, maybe. So I declared my major as environmental science and policy and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. And that was the same um, month that I declared my major and started the environmental science program, um, that the Ferguson uprisings happened in my community after, um, the death of Michael Brown. So that was about 10 minutes away from my house. I was trying to process it. My sister was protesting, my parents were protesting. And then all of a sudden I just go back to California while, you know, my city is burning down and I'm trying to learn about these intro to environmental science classes. And then I go home and I turn on the TV and I see my parents protesting on CNN. And it's hard for me to focus clearly because I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm learning about the clean air act while there's pollution and literal smoke just encompassing my city. And then I'm learning about the Clean Water Act. And then what about communities like Flint that don't even have clean water or mountain communities that have fracking fluid? In their water, and at all, I did feel a bit cynical. Thankfully, I'm more of a climate optimist now, but that's where <laughs> it started. Just the kind of it was very ironic to me that you know I was learning about all these quote unquote progressive environmental policies, but then realizing that people of color and people that looked like me were often left out of the protections of those progressive environmental policies. And I think uh, this year. Or last year in 2020, the Black Lives Matter movement happened again in an even major way. And I did feel a sense of silence from the environmental community, people that I had gone to climate marches with that you know, we're advocating for the smallest of endangered species weren't also advocating for Black lives. And I just realized then and there, this is not the type of environmentalism that I want to be a part of. Whoever wants to take an intersectional approach, let's get together, do our thing, and <laughs> go somewhere else.
0: <laughs> You're casting a bigger vision. And I actually I wrote down this quote. Uh, you wrote an article for our friends at The Good Trade, and you said, it's difficult to separate the Black Lives Matter movement from the work of environmentalism. Both are advocating for the right to breathe and thrive and the ability to do so without unjust violence. Could you cast a vision for us of what it could look like to see, and I'll quote you again, environmentalist movements mobilizing alongside the Black Lives Matter movement to help amplify the unheard voices of those facing the harshest impacts of the climate crisis, as well as police brutality.
1: Absolutely. I think just asking the question, like, well, what are both movements asking for? Like, they're asking for, specifically in the Black Lives Matter movement, the right for Black people to breathe, to exist, to experience joy safely. And I think environmentalists can help address one of those basic needs that everyone needs, the right to breathe, um, especially quite literally with clean air. Because there was just, and 2020 was the most intersectional year of my life, especially looking at the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, okay, so it's difficult for Black people to breathe because of police brutality, literally. And then also the coronavirus, which is attacking people's respiratory systems and Black people are dying at higher rates. And not only that, Black communities are disproportionately impacted by um, increased air pollution, which causes more respiratory illnesses. And that was like an intersectional recipe for disaster. And we could look at that. Okay, let's approach it. Environmentalists can tackle this part. These people in the healthcare system can tackle this part. Civil rights people can tackle this part. Or we can join forces together and see like the common thread um, that's kind of woven between each of those issue areas. And we're We're stronger in numbers so I think what does that look like I'm still figuring that out but I guess the first place is for all of those different people especially environmentalists to understand like okay I do have a part in this if I care about clean air if I care about the right for people to experience you know a safe and healthy environment then maybe I should be doing that for the people that are impacted the most.
0: We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Leah is sharing simple, actionable steps you and I can take to incorporate intersectional environmentalism into our everyday lives. We'll be right back. Sounds Good is sponsored by Happily. Date nights during the pandemic are so hard to do. Oh my goodness. Without safe and easy access to restaurants, movie theaters, or events, it can feel like romantic and fun dates are hard to make happen. But fortunately, Happily created the perfect solution. Happily is the maker of Datebox. Datebox is everything you need for a romantic and fun date night right in your home, right in a box. They even include a custom playlist and conversation starters for your date. With easy sign up, flexible plans, and fast shipping directly to you, what more could you ask for? Take the pressure off date night and get your first date box for 50% off. That's half off. Just visit the happily.co and use the code good, good, good. All one word. One more time that's thehappily.co and get 50% off with the code good, good, good. Sounds Good is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM is the company that lets you support a local bookstore every time you download an audiobook. And in this episode, we are talking about climate change, sustainability, and maybe reasons to feel hopeful about both of those things. And let me tell you, I've got two amazing book recommendations for you, both of which I read on Libro FM. The first is All We Can Save Truth, Courage, and the Solutions for the Climate Crisis. It has essays written by climate scientists, climate activists, but it's narrated by amazing voice actors like Sophia Bush, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Jane Fonda, America Ferreira. Oh, my goodness. It is so good. I also want to recommend the book The Future Earth by Eric Holthouse, a radical vision for what's possible in the age of warming. Eric as you may remember, has been on our podcast before. He's delightful. His book was deeply hopeful, and I could not recommend it more. And here's what's amazing as a special offer for Sounds Good listeners, Libro FM is offering two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with the code GOOD. And every time you buy an audiobook through Libro FM, you support a local bookstore of your choosing. You keep money within your local economy, create local jobs and make a difference in your community. All you have to do is visit the website Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O.fm and use the promo code GOOD to get started with two audiobooks and to help support this show. I first came across your work uh, on Instagram when you shared this post that I have not seen the statistics, but it seems like it went viral, reached millions and millions and millions of people, essentially talking about intersectional environmentalism. And what's it been like to go from your life before you went viral to now running an organization and helping spearhead this intersectional environmentalism movement?
1: It's hard to explain, but honestly, it just feels right. And if anyone's looking for like, okay, what's like the aha moment when you like figure out what you're supposed to do? It's just like this feeling, like it. This is what. This is it. Like this is what I want to do, and I, I didn't know exactly that this is what I wanted to do, but it just feels so right. Like getting to combine my love for graphic design and also. Uh, retelling environmental history through an intersectional lens. And then also they're being just being so blessed with so many people at this point, over 200,000 people that are following along and just want to learn about environmental justice. Like it is just the most beautiful feeling in the world. And I mean, I just, I don't know, I guess my life philosophy is just to ride that wave, you know, like just ride that wave. And then also that Eminem song that's like, like, lose yourself in the music, the moment. Like that's sound <laughs> like that's literally like what was playing in my head because I was like, this is my this is my shot. And it isn't just a shot for me. This is a shot for this viral moment to uplift a lot of the players in the environmental justice space. And that's a tremendous responsibility. But I didn't even want to look left or right. I just wanted to keep charging ahead, doing everything that I could to get this into the mainstream and kind of break that mold. So environmental justice could finally have its like heyday. And I think it's working and it's not just me. There's so many other people, Sunrise Movement, Future Earth, other organizations that are doing incredible work. But for the first time in my life, there's, you know, a president, a president who has an environmental justice plan and is, is making an environmental task force in like the first two weeks of leadership. So it feels like people are listening, it's working and I just got to keep my eyes on the prize and you know it's really cool. I just feel very blessed to get to do, to do this work that I love so much.
0: It's such beautiful work and I love when I get to see somebody who is using their strengths in this way that only they can. You know, you're using your education in the world of environmentalism, your family's passion for protest and justice, uh, your ability to communicate brilliantly and to be an artist and a creator, like all of these things combined in a way that is so unique to you. And then you're finding other people who have similar skill sets, similar passions and leaning on their strengths. Like It's so evident and it's energizing. I love to imagine how each of us have the ability to do something that's catered to us but advances a common goal for the common good.
1: Yeah, there's uh, one of my internet friends, Patty Gonia, the outdoor oh drag my gosh guy.
0: <laughs> Yes, Ab- one of my absolute favorite people in the world.
1: I love Patty. And there's this one time they commented on a post of mine and they were like, you know, find what you're good at and chase it like hell. Like find what you're good at that other people aren't like, might not be like your special talent and chase it like hell. And yeah, it's such an empowering feeling to know that anything, whether it's like, we need accountants at IE, you know, Mm -hmm. like even if You're just really good at numbers, but you really care about environmentalism. Like you can still contribute to the cause. If you're a designer, I think that creativity is such a powerful like vehicle of social and environmental and political change. And I think, you know, it feels, I want people to chase whatever, whatever that thing is for them. Like hell. And if they want to do mission based work, they can too. And they can also contribute um, to a movement. And activists don't need to look a certain way or, you know, prove themselves. I think that was something that I struggled with initially um, just kind of popping up on Instagram after going viral and people being like, oh, you make graphics? Uh, well, I was outside for the last 45 days and the cold and you were in your house making graphics. And it was like, not like that, not literally, but people would always try to like one up, one up in some way. And I think that happens in the activist space. But then again, you know, every single piece is a piece of the puzzle. Like I see you, those uh, organizers that are out there every day hustling, like taking it to the streets Um, But there's also people who might have disabilities or they might have, you know, social anxiety. And that's not necessarily, I have social anxiety. Um, And that's not necessarily what they might be able to do. So maybe like creating graphics or sharing things on social media, like that's accessible. And there's no reason to, you know, compete because everybody plays a role when it comes to activism and social change.
0: I would imagine that kind of along those lines listeners and me are thinking, okay well what can I go out and start doing this week to be an intersectional environmentalist? what action steps can I take And there are like you you kind of just spoke to like the holistic things of you know finding your passions, finding your the things that you are uniquely good at and playing a role in the movement but also just how can we just make this a part of our everyday, activism like what are the actions that we can take whether it's calling representatives or volunteering or educating ourselves like what what does that kind of action look like for all of us
1: i would say to start is just really like learning and unlearning because i feel like with education comes empowerment because then you feel like oh okay like i got this information now i can take i can take action so i would say a first step is you know following along with different diverse voices and people and the climate movement hearing from their perspective um, whether that's on social media or you know doing a deep dive and watching a bunch of YouTube videos or reading books um, making sure that your environmental education is intersectional in nature and you're hearing different perspectives um, so I think that's a really great place to start also another thing for people who just want to make like little sustainable changes in their lives and kind of reduce their waste or over Overall, like environmental impact, a good place to start is look at what you're already doing that you might not know that you're doing. Whether it's you know cultural values of reusing, you know plastic shopping bags or reusing your Tupperware, mason jars, whatever that is, or thrift shopping. Um, because I think starting from a place of empowerment versus shame can make people take action a little bit more. Personally, I'm more like empowerment focused and motivated and not necessarily shame motivated, but I think some people are shame motivated. So if that's what you got to do, do you, but you know, it makes me a little sad. Um, And then from there, I would say it's kind of hard to get out and organize right now because of the pandemic, but there's a lot that you can do online. Um, Whether that's, you know, sharing different things that people can sign to take action, calling different representatives, Even like commenting, like if a bunch of people comment or tweet at a politician, like doing it in a way that's respectful, like that raises a bunch of issues. Um, Looking at diverse climate leaders and seeing what campaigns they're participating in so you can amplify the work that they're doing and not necessarily recreate the wheel. And those are just a couple things to get started that probably won't feel too overwhelming. But yeah, I think a good place to start is just unlearning and relearning, and that for me is really exciting. Like going through history and seeing like who's been left out, or wow, there are all these cool pioneers in this space that I didn't know about. Um, I think that's a good place to start.
0: My final question for our conversation today, I was thinking about, you did an Instagram Live recently with the White House and you ended your conversation with the White House, which was just so good, by the way. And you said, the future is intersectional. And I I started seeing that popping up on a lot of your posts. And uh, it's a hashtag in your bio. And I know that you are very future oriented. And so I want to close by asking what makes you hopeful about the future of the intersectional environmentalism movement? And also what makes you feel hopeful about the impact that it's going to have?
1: Yeah, I think staying future focused, like keeps me pretty optimistic, like obviously being grounded in the present, but also just the possibilities of the future are just so beautiful to me. And I think, oh, I don't know. That's just like a little phrase that, um, we, we say it, i.e., just to remind everyone, like the future is intersectional because there is a lot of pushback from people, even in the environmental community, that are like, why do we have to talk about race? What is climate justice? I just want to talk about recycling. Um, so it's <laughs> kind of like a phrase that we have in our community, like, you know what? Regardless, the future is going to be intersectional. Or whenever there are issues, I don't know, or like history the future is a better indicator of what is morally just and not Mm. just than the present, because there have been so many moments, like even looking back to the civil rights movement, like 60% of Americans, a lot of people's grandparents thought that Martin Luther King Jr. was too extreme and they didn't support his movement, but the future is intersectional and the like. Textbooks will always like, well, not always, but we will be able to know in the future, like what is morally right and wrong. So if you feel deeply in your heart that advocating for the protection of people and the planet is just and is right and is what you want to do, just chase that like hell because the future will be on your side. So I guess, yeah, that's why we say it. I think, you know, I don't have like a manifesto or anything, but if I have like a goal, uh, it's kind of ambitious, but to really just I know dismantle is a strong word but to dismantle the current educational system um, particularly focusing on environmental education to make sure in the future when people learn about you know the national parks they also learn about you know the displacement of indigenous people when people learn about regenerative agriculture they also learn about the indigenous communities and cultures around the world that have pioneered incredibly sustainable agricultural techniques so i'm not saying that we need to remove a lot of history but it would be great if we could have an intersectional approach to it, especially in the United States, because people of color are going to be the majority And I don't know, 20 years or however long it's going to be, 20 to 50 years. I don't know the exact statistic. And how sad would it be if they didn't see themselves reflected in textbooks, because I sure didn't see myself reflected in environmental textbooks. Um, So I think people will be a lot more compassionate, a lot more empathetic, a lot more understanding, if we do have a more intersectional approach to education as a whole, and specifically environmental education. So in the future, I hope that, you know, textbooks are rewritten, college courses and programs um, have additions of classes. That's something that's happening, which is really cool. Like at my previous university, um, Chapman University, a bunch of students inspired by uh, intersectional environmentalists decided to protest and petition and demand that an environmental justice class be added. And oh my God, they did that over the summer, and they're having a class this spring on environmental justice taught by an Indigenous woman. So it's so great to see this momentum, and it seems like it's something that can actually change. Like, if we just keep pushing towards it, I think we're going to have a more intersectional future. of environmental education.
0: That's Leah Thomas, the founder of Intersectional Environmentalist. You can follow Intersectional Environmentalist on Instagram at Intersectional Environmentalist, and you should follow Leah at Green Girl Leah. You should also definitely visit IE's website to learn more and dive into their incredible resources. I have spent a lot of time on their site, just basking in the wisdom and knowledge that they're sharing. The website is intersectionalenvironmentalist.com. This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at goodgoodgood.co. This episode was created by Kaylee Thompson, Megan Burns, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios, and you can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Please do us a favor by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And when you find an episode you love, please share it on Instagram so we can repost you. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and find a way to make your environmentalism more intersectional. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good?